I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts about the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by Katie Spada. Katie is a registered dietitian and former athlete. She is the owner and founder of Spada Strong Nutrition, LLC, a nutrition coaching business focused on helping athletes, former athletes, and active individuals fuel for training and for life. She holds a master's degree in nutrition from Northeastern University with a concentration in sports and fitness. Katie competed as an elite level synchronized swimmer on the national team and collegiate level before retiring and pursuing her career as a dietitian. Katie founded Spada Strong Nutrition with the goal of helping individuals learn how to fuel their bodies properly, work through body image struggles, and develop a healthy relationship with food that supports that lifestyle or their lifestyle. Katie believes every person deserves to feel good in their skin, fuel their body well, and enjoy the food they eat guilt-free. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the Upbeat Dietitians podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Oh my goodness. Thank you guys so much for asking me on. I am so honored to be here. Yes, we are so excited and I cannot get wait to get into all things because our audience loves all things sports nutrition, so this is going to be a very exciting episode for them. Awesome. We always like starting off, though, with kind of giving our guests the floor to kind of talk about, tell us what a day in the life looks like, what do you do for work, past education, hobbies, whatever you kind of you want to share. <laughs> this is your time to shine. Sure, sure. I love that. So my, I'll do a day in the life. Um, I work clinically as well as having my private practice. So I work as a peds PICU dietitian um, at one of the local trauma centers. So I do a lot of the critical care trauma nutrition support um, in my day job, which is a very big contrast to the work I do in my business, which is helping athletes and specifically former athletes um, really heal, heal their relationship with food. So during my day job, I am communicating with doctors and nurses and doing lots and lots of math, so much math. And then um, when I come home is when I run my practice and I get to have calls with clients and dive into all the things. Um, and then at night is when I spend time with my fiance and we cook dinner. Um, we love, well, I teach bar classes, so I shouldn't say we, I, I love taking bar classes and um, doing workouts and fit group fitness classes. So that's, that's a rough day in the life, um, clinical private practice, personal time. And then we repeat the next day. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Man, yeah. So, so busy. How long have you been teaching yeah. bar for? Oh, I've been teaching bar for four, almost four years now. Oh, um, yeah, I love it. It's so much fun. I've actually That's never awesome. done a bar class before. I don't have to try that. That sounds like super fun. Well, if you're ever in Vegas, you are always welcome to take oh. one of my classes. <laughs> well, thank you. That'd be amazing. amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was going to say, when do you sleep? <laughs> I, I do try and prioritize sleep. I try and get, it's usually six to seven, seven's really ideal. Um, but I'm fortunate to have 
a supportive fiance and then family that helps me out with all of the like daily life tasks that I feel like I know, um, I think Hannah, I think I've seen Hannah has like another job too. And it's just, sometimes it gets to be a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of support to make all of this happen. Yes. yes. Emily and I both, we both work along with okay. our own businesses. Yeah. And then we also have the podcast together. So we totally, we totally feel you guys that. get it. Woo. Yeah. We could not do it by ourselves. That's for sure. No. Yes. Yes. No. Takes a village. It yes. does. It does. <laughs> Awesome. So let's get into kind of the reason we have you here then. So as everyone knows, we're going to talk about prior, primarily Hannah and I are struggling with words today. Apparently it's seeping on to me a lot too. I think I started it. So I apologize. I think it's it's Friday, (laughs) Yeah. but we're going to focus primarily on fueling former kind of athlete nutrition needs. But the first question we want to start off with is kind of how do nutrition needs change from athlete life transitioning to quote unquote for people who can't see the video regular life oh i love this question and in true nutrition form um it depends but i will categorize it into two main categories and this is this is generally speaking what i've seen in my work with former athletes um depending on what sport you're coming from and depending on the nutrition habits you had in your sport really determines how your nutrition needs change. So I'll use aesthetic sports to start. My sport was artistic swimming. So very aesthetic. There's a huge focus on being lean. And a lot of those athletes are in low energy availability. They're under eating. They're not meeting their nutrition needs. And so oddly enough, they think that when they retire, their needs go down when in reality, they weren't ever giving their body enough to start. So oftentimes they do actually need more than they were eating when they were competing. Um, This is where I think there's that like paradoxical belief of as soon as I retire, I need to eat less. And it really does depend on how you were fueling your body beforehand. In the reverse, there's the more like endurance bulking type of sports that athletes are oftentimes overeating their needs in order to gain muscle mass or to bulk up depending on what their sport was demanding of them, when they retire, chances are they don't have as high of needs and they don't have to constantly be overeating. So when I'm working with former athletes, it's really important for me to understand what background are they coming from? What was their nutrition history as an athlete? And that'll determine what their needs are and how we kind of approach it moving forward in our work together. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I feel like there's so much that goes into it. I'm just like <laughs> thinking about it boggles my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's, but I, yeah. I didn't I'm, like really think about the differences like you had pointed out like some actually need to eat more, some need to eat less because I actually was in the mindset probably like most people who think when someone retires they should just be eating less because they're less active. I did not think about the other side of it and how those who probably were under feeling quite a bit would need more as they are no longer trying to achieve that like lean aesthetic as much. Yeah. And there's a lot of the population I work with, um, does have either hypothalamic amenorrhea or had a history of red S or something like that. And so in order to just get back to baseline general health, you know, restore their health, they oftentimes have to eat significantly more than they were eating before. 
Um, I know I always startle a lot of my clients when I say I eat more than I did when I was an athlete and they're like, what? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, and it's totally healthy and it's totally important. Um, so it, it is, it was a learning curve for me too. Cause I came from the same mindset. I retire, I eat less. Well, that actually goes really well into our next question. So we want to go over like very common struggles that you probably see working with former athletes one of them being overeating or like their feeling of overeating or the fear of overeating. So I guess that one, first of all, how do you help your clients who do have that fear of overeating after retirement? How do you help them cope with that? Because it probably is not a fun feeling to feel that way. Yeah. And I think the main reason that athletes often feel this way they were, when they retire is because they're not working out so much. And that food is fuel mentality makes it seem like we only need to eat if we're working out. Um, and so something that I often talk to them about is our energy needs. I'll, I'll even break down like, what is resting energy expenditure? This is how much your body needs if you were just laying in bed. Um, and oftentimes they're really startled by that. Um, so shifting the mindset away from food is fuel for exercise to food is fuel for all of these things can be really helpful for them to realize you're probably not overeating to the extent or at all based on what your body needs. Um, with the reverse, there is oftentimes the athletes who were used to just cleaning their plate completely. And so now they have this fear, this guilt that they're constantly overeating and cleaning their plate. And we talk about giving them permission to leave food on their plate and how that's okay. Um, especially in sports like, like football or, you know, sports that do demand them to, to reach a certain, you know, bulk status. That's kind of what the sport is asking them to do. Um, there's almost this like learned behavior of, I have to finish my plate. And so giving them that permission that you don't always have to finish your plate can be really freeing for the reverse side of the guilt of overeating. Yeah. I love how you brought up both points of like mindset work. Like that's of course, very, very important. And then also like the science, like understanding, like how our body burns calories, what it needs calories for, what does it need protein for? I think explaining that often helps make so much sense of like how our body actually uses things. And so then we feel better honoring our hunger and feeling our fullness and all of those different things. So I'm so glad you brought both those points up. That's huge. Yeah. I found with the athlete population, and I think with many people, when you explain to them why it's really enlightening and they're like, oh my gosh, oh, okay. Like so yes, I can eat a bagel on a day that I'm not working out and it's totally fine. Whereas before when they don't know why it's okay, it still feels very guilt inducing. So I love yeah. meshing the science with the mindset. Yes. I love pulling out like the RMR, BMR when someone probably is under feeling. I'm like, actually, you probably need that many calories if you were doing like literally nothing but breathing and having functioning organs. Like <laughs> you yes. are not eating enough, my friend, have a bagel. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> totally agree. Uh, amazing. I think I, I do not have much to add. I love everything <laughs> you guys said. A very common occurrence that happens on here. I'm like, yes, snaps for you. Snaps yeah. For you. yeah. Everything you said. Um, but let's talk about one of the next most common struggles. I feel like this is one that I've seen a lot. It's just also very popular in general is body changes that occur as Ooh. you transition out of sport. Yes. I think, I think the biggest thing here that I try and remind all of my clients and then also just in my community is 
the body that you lived in when you were an athlete was likely a product of extremes, right? Like being an athlete really does require you to go to the extreme with food, with exercise, even with sleep and your schedule. We're not designed to live at extremes forever. Um, And so I always say, if you could only maintain that body by going to those extremes, it's probably not the healthiest body for you. Um, There's this huge pressure that if you don't look like your 18 to 22 year old college athlete self, you let yourself go. And I think that's just such a damage to the community because it puts, it puts us at risk for engaging in these unhealthy behaviors in order to obtain that or maintain that. Um, And so talking about that, that really is more of like the mindset piece of like why it's okay that your body changes, why this doesn't mean that you're letting yourself go, why this could actually be healthy, Um, especially for my athletes that come from the very lean aesthetic sports. Maybe they do need to gain weight or the athletes who are used to bulking and overeating, maybe they were living in a body that was larger than their they're comfortable in. I see both sides, athletes losing muscle mass, athletes living in larger bodies. And I always like to say, if if you're eating well, moving your body regularly in a respectful way and getting enough rest, how your body looks is really, you can't control it any more than that. You're doing everything you can. Um, So oftentimes my body image work is just coming alongside of them, validating that it is really hard. Um, cause we do live in a thin focused world, um, but that it is okay. And your body has permission to change and adapt as your life changes. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. I love how you separate like the body from the athlete themselves, like the human soul and like what all else that entails, because who is it on Instagram? Digestion. Oh, Digestion Anna. I like adore her on Instagram. She always says skin suit. I just like, love that. Like yes. your skin suit in this phase of your life is going to be different than the skin suit in this phase of your life. And that's okay. Yes. Oh, I love her too. She's fantastic. She's amazing. <laughs> we got to have her on. She's amazing. Oh, yes, yeah. you do. I feel like so many people also needed to hear what you just said, where like you have the permission, like your body, it's okay if your body changes because so times not even just in the sense of athletes but also in general people are like so fixated on looking what they looked like in high school your body there was so much different going on and like and then I think of Hannah and I have a little experience when we volunteered at Purdue in their sports nutrition department and we just hear about their workout schedules insane insane you can't keep that up with a full-time job or like hobbies a social life <laughs> katie's like yes <laughs> i know i'm just like i'm coming through the screen because i'm like yeah. yes like look the only people i feel like that look like that maybe are the ones who do that for their job like right they're they're nine to five is going and working practicing out. on like the basketball court or lifting later that like that is their job yep yep <laughs> they have very different not only like resources but also time and kind of what is going on a very different life point that's fine <laughs> I think that's such a good point and that's something that I'll often bring up is like value alignment and admittedly like I learned this from from my mentor Leslie Schilling she's an awesome sports dietitian in the anti-diet space as well. And she, um, she always says like, is this value alignment? Are you, are your actions in alignment with how you want your life to look? 
Cause I'll ask my clients like, well, what's important to you? And oftentimes they're saying things like, well, I, I want to go, I want to date, or I want to have more time for friends or say yes to happy hours with coworkers or whatever it might be. And going to the gym or tracking their meals or whatever it might be is stopping them from doing that. And so their actions aren't in alignment with the, with the value that they want to have in their life. Um, and so bringing that to light and seeing how we can really create a cohesive and enjoyable life for them is a really important piece. And that might result in body changes that might result in less strictly following a quote unquote diet, um, not going to the gym every day. But if it's creating a life that you enjoy more, we got to weigh that out on the value scale. Right. And even though your exercise and your food choices might be different and maybe even like less extreme, you can still be an amazingly healthful individual. Like your health is not going to be worse off just because you are changing those habits. Exactly. Exactly. I I hear a lot of, well, what about my health? I'm worried Mm -hmm. about my health. And I, I love, I love both of your pages, how you just like interweave the health piece into it because it's not abandoning health. I actually think it's putting more of a focus on your overall health in a much better way. So totally love that point. Yes. Emily and I always say this, but like your mental health is health too. Like that's actually a pretty big part of it, actually. <laughs> yes, it is often neglected, but okay. Emily mentioned a little bit about exercise and kind of how it's of course much more extreme oftentimes when you're an athlete. Um, and so I can only imagine that retired athletes have that fear of that, that change. You kind of are doing less exercise. So how do you help those who are experiencing that guilt or worry deal with that sort of thing. Oh, yes. I think, I think the guilt that the workouts aren't enough, they don't count. Like it's, it's never enough. I should be doing more is something that really does drive a lot of stress in the athlete, former athlete community. So again, we'll talk about value, but we'll also talk about what does your body actually need and what actually counts as movement. I like to shift from working out to movement because then that can encompass so much more. Like I probably won't do a formal workout today, but I was walking back and forth in the hospital multiple times. That is movement that still counts. So it's reframing what, redefining what counts as movement. What does your body actually need and benefit from? And realizing you don't have to be completely dripping in sweat with a heart rate of 200 and your muscles shaking to the point where it's benefiting your body. In fact, again, that extreme may not be beneficial for your body. Um, And so this takes a lot of deconstructing what we believe to be adequate um, from a workout standpoint and rebuilding and redefining what is adequate for your life now. So there's a lot of breaking down previous mindsets and building new ones when we're tackling this this topic. Yeah, I like to bring up too sometimes, depending on like what the conversation is with the client, but I'll talk about, um, needs and eat. So like non-exercise activity thermogenesis versus like EAT exercise activity thermogenesis. And I don't think that we should just work out to burn calories, but we burn a lot more calories from that NEAT, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So like walking around at work or tapping your foot or like getting up to the, go to the bathroom or going to walk your dog, like those like more general, like daily movements are actually going to do a lot more metabolically. Again, I think it's great to do a intense workout, lift some weights, all that too. But, um, it's talking about like the differences, I think very helpful too, for some people to understand that you actually are getting a lot done by doing just like daily movement. 
Totally, totally. I love that. And I like the the meat and eat. Yes, it does. It all counts. And I think yeah. that's probably the biggest mindset shift is, you know, I'll, I'll have athletes say like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I like walked my dog, but that doesn't count. It's like, no, no, it does. So I appreciate you bringing up the meat and eat because it all counts, right? There. It all counts. It all counts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Let's, I'm excited for this next one because <laughs> I, I feel like, especially from going such an intense lifestyle to games or in like competitions and workouts and eating, there's not really, I don't, I was not a college athlete, so I don't really know much about the rest day life in college sports, but mm. how do you help individuals or kind of what do you talk them through as a transition from athlete life to regular person life and working around that like guilt or stress around rest days and essentially not working out every single day or like every uh. other day, even so. Yes. I I think this really ties into what we were just talking about and how even your just daily activities, they benefit and they impact your body in, in a beneficial way. I love how Hannah said it, like metabolically it does. Um, and so I think the other thing too, that I'll, I'll talk about here is how rest is actually really beneficial. And you were, if they were a college athlete, a professional, whatever level you were probably realistically running your body into the ground for 10 plus years, like a decade or more, your body is going to benefit so much from rest because when we rest, it recovers, it heals, it has time to build and grow. I think that's one of the things that I'll often hear athletes say is like, well, rest days aren't productive because I'm not doing any work. Resting is very productive. And in fact, you'll probably get more benefit out of the next workout when you rest. So we'll talk about that too. And how Resting can actually allow you to improve in the gym. A lot of athletes are still doing CrossFit competitions or, you know, triathlons, or they're, they're engaging in some form of competitive physical activity and taking a rest day is going to allow you to show up the next workout even better. Um, So we'll talk about like how you need rest in order for your muscles to rebuild your cells to recover inflammation to decrease. There's a lot of benefits to rest days that the grinds, never take a day off, never miss a Monday mentality doesn't really allow you to benefit from. Um, so, but I think it does go back to a lot of the previous conversation we just had about what counts and why it counts and how it benefits you. Um, athletes are always wanting to be productive. And if they don't feel productive, it becomes that like tense, itchy anxiety feeling. So teaching them this is still productive can really help ease a lot of that guilt. The never taking a day off phrase. <laughs> I know you said that. And I know you said it, of course, like against it, but I'm like, gross. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yes. The like grinds and like games, like all those. Rise and grind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's gross. <laughs> oh, it makes my skin crawl now. I, I used to be in the <laughs> never take a day off. Mm-hmm. I think I went like three years without missing like a workout. And I'm like, how did my body not completely fall apart on me? Like, thank you body, but you deserve rest. (laughs) Thank you body. You work so hard for me. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, those were kind of the big struggles that we kind of assumed that you often hear. Are there any others that you wanted to bring up that you hear from clients or whoever else that 
they, they feel when they go from athlete life to quote unquote regular life? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think so many things impact our nutrition outside of just like what we eat and how we move our body. And I think one of the biggest things is the identity and how that is tied to our body. And when our body changes, it's almost like this physical representation of like shedding that athlete identity. So oftentimes they're, they're kind of pining after that body to maintain that identity. And I see this so often. And so one of the first things we do when it has nothing even to do with the food that they're eating, we talk about like, who are you? Who are you outside of your sport? Like what makes you an incredible person? And that's one of, I think the most challenging things, but laying that foundation can be really beneficial and actually make healing their relationship with food and exercise and body image almost easier. It's never an easy thing to do, but it allows for them to see, oh, like my food choices don't determine who I am. There's a lot of the, um, well, I was the fit one in the group, right? Like their identity is almost attached to their workouts and their eating. Um, and so shedding that and redefining who they are separate from those things can be a really beneficial exercise or practice in healing their relationship with food and all of that. So I think, I think that's one of the biggest things and it, we don't even talk about what they, what they ate today, but we talk about like, who are you? (laughs) That is such a good exercise. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that, but that's probably such a big part of their identity Mm -hmm. for years on end. This like you dedicate your life to the sport and then suddenly like you probably still do like a recreational form of it in some way or another, but it's not like it was before. So I feel like potentially a little, some identity crises might be happening. Yes. And I, one of the things I recommend to everyone, but almost all of my clients too, is to do, to find a therapist as well and do this work in combination with therapists, because there is so much of it. I I think once we start talking and they realize their food choices are dictated by so much more than just, is this a carb, a fat or a protein? And do I even like this food? There's so much that goes into their food choices that subconsciously they were unaware of. Um, Having that therapy combination is really beneficial. Um, And the therapist can dive deeper into the identity pieces that do step outside of my scope. Um, but I think it's an important piece to talk about because it does go into why are you choosing this food? Oh yeah. Something I always say, it's like, it's rarely about the food when it comes to like, just in general, really anything when it comes to intuitive eating and food freedom and all of that, like it's so much deeper than that. Like why it's, it's more why than it is what your food choices actually are. Yes. Oh my gosh. We need to get that plastered. It's more wide. My next tattoo. Yeah. My first tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. I don't know if I said my next tattoo. I was like, Emily, surprise. You have some explaining to Yeah. (laughs) But we are huge therapy advocates here. So I'm glad you said that because therapy is great. Everyone probably has something they can work on, especially in this realm when so much of your life is changing. It's good to talk that out with someone. Yeah, it is. And I think, I think one of the biggest steps going back to the body image piece is I always try and give my clients a space or tell them, direct them to a therapist that, you know, it's okay to mourn like your previous body, your previous life. Like sometimes you need that space in order to do that, to be able to move forward. 
Um, and I think they're often really surprised to how much of this is like, sure, I can encourage you to eat more vegetables, have whole grains, yada, yada, yada. But what's really going to benefit your health is when we dive deep and we get all of this other stuff just like figured out and give you the tools and the resources to handle stressful situations. And because that's when our, I, I, I believe when we really see like, okay, what is driving our decisions? Um, and so, you know, I always say like, I rarely have to tell people like vegetables are healthy for you. No one, <laughs> no one needs me to tell them that, but coming alongside of you and guiding you on how you make food decisions when life gets tough or stressful, or you're going through transition or change, that's what I believe is going to help you be healthy. However you define health for your life. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we tell our clients like a couple of times, like eat this many carbs ish, like per serving and like try to get more veggies, but like you tell them that once and they do it and that's great. And it's going to be so much more of that behind the scenes work. We have to kind of like really, really dive into and figure out like, if you see someone for like a long time, for example, as different life events come up, how to navigate those types of things, because the, the food's not really going to change, but life is going to keep changing and adjusting and figuring out how to overcome different obstacles along the way is I'd say like 95% of our job. <laughs> totally agree. I totally agree. That's, that's it. Like you said, we, we can teach them all of those things, but learning how to actually navigate it when life gets tough or it's not, this is why I know you guys agree, like meal plans are not beneficial because yes. you can't always have the things that that food life doesn't always go as planned. I want you to be skilled enough to know how to fuel your body when X, Y, and Z happens. So that way you can feel confident in every food situation, regardless of, of what food is available and the circumstances around it. So yes. yeah, it's so much more. Yes. You can honor your hunger and feel your fullness till the cows come home. But like, if you're scared of eating a bagel, eh. right, right. Then your next trip to New York is just going to not be as exciting. You exactly. Know? Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. clearly you are an advocate for intuitive eating anti-diet space. And we, we so, so love an anti-diet sports dietitian, because I feel like people do think of sports RDs often as macros and calories and working out and all those grind culture things. So yeah. our kind of final question for you might be kind of a very big question, but how can former athletes who are listening perhaps find that food freedom, that place where like, they're not thinking about food 24 seven, they're not wrapped up in the way their body looks, all these things we've kind of already talked about. How can they get to that place? Oh, yes. So I always like to compare this to our sport, right? this is probably something that is brand new to you. You are a beginner again, because maybe you did have some one give you a meal planner. Everything you've learned about nutrition up till now might be in question now. So what I like to say is like, one, you're a beginner again, remember how you became elite in your sport, time, practice, repetition, give yourself grace because learning how to eat outside of sport is totally new. And I think we almost have this expectation of like, well, I should, I should know how to eat, right? I'm in my twenties or my thirties or my forties or however old you are. Why is food so complicated? Give yourself the space to try new things, be open to food, providing you feedback, your body, providing you feedback, using each eating experience. This is one of my favorite phrases, each eating experience as an opportunity to gain more data and learn from it. Um, and I think what helps that is to be, be curious instead of critical. Um, as an athlete, 
and this is something I took into life after sport with me too, is constantly criticizing and critiquing everything I do. Um, if we can shift that to being curious, well, why did I eat 14 Oreos? Well, why did I, you know, end up having three bowls of cereal? Well, why, whatever it is, did I skip lunch? Being curious instead of critical and getting hard on yourself gives you the space and the time to make a change the next time and to learn about why this happened. So I think, again, kind of a vague question, but more of a vague answer. I think really allowing yourself time to become an expert is one of the most beneficial things that former athletes just retiring or learning how learning intuitive eating or how to navigate food freedom later on in life can be so beneficial. So that would kind of be my, my main advice there. Great answer. Great answer. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like the two words that I throw around the most that you mentioned too, um, that I just like love to use are curiosity, being curious, not judgmental, and also empowerment. Like when you make your choices, you are empowered to make whatever choice you want to make without food. And then if you make a choice that doesn't make you feel very good, you get to be curious about it and figure out why it didn't make you feel very good. So anyway, I love that you're using the word curious. I think it's a very, very important word. And like, it shifts that mindset from like, oh gosh, I ate 14 Oreos. Why did I do that? I'm so bad. I should burn this off with a jog or whatever. Versus just being curious. Why did I do that? Am I feeling emotional to not eat enough today? and using it as a learning opportunity. So I just love that you said that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Curiosity and empowerment. I love that. Those two words. Yep. Yep. Cool. So we always like to kind of end our episodes with a little, little kind of joke on the podcast that if like our listeners were to only listen to one part of this entire podcast, what would you want to tell them to sum it all up? I know we talked about a lot sum it all up in one or one to three sentences. Okay, man. How do you feel really on the spot? <laughs> I was going to say, if you couldn't tell from the last episode, I, I just really like to talk. So yeah. let's see. I think it would probably be what, what we just ended with, like approach food and exercise and everything with curiosity and develop the skills to be empowered to make food, exercise, clothing, body image choices that make you feel good. Oh, I can see the Canva infographic already. Yeah. Emily. <laughs> hey, me so too. good. Me too. I love it. Okay. Well, we like to end, end, end our episodes. Yeah. We always like said, we're going to end it and then we keep going. Um, yeah. We always do a bonus question to wrap it up. So not related at all to the topic of the day. Um, it's kind of a place for us to just have a fun time and talk about like food discussions, really just RD things. So today's bonus question, Katie, we let our guests go first. Um, the question is what is the best like type or flavor of cookie? And by that, I mean like things like chocolate chip or like white macadamia nut, or like maybe like Oreos are your favorite kind mm-hmm. of whatever spin on that that you see fit, but what is the best type or flavor of cookie? Ooh, oh my goodness. So what's coming up for me right now is snickerdoodle. Ooh. And I know, I just think it's like, it's like a sugar cookie, but then you get that cinnamon, the rich nuttiness of the, of the, whatever snickerdoodle flavor is mm-hmm. so good. I'm, I'm a huge snickerdoodle fan. So that's what I'm going with. Are you a fan of like a more chewy undercooked cookie or like a crunchy, more firm one? It really depends on the type. Like I like crunchy, mm-hmm. more firm peanut butter cookies, actually, oh. you know, Interesting. um, 
And I think if I were to do like a white macadamia nut, I'd prefer that to be more crunchy, but my chocolate chip, my oatmeal raisin, my snickerdoodle, they got to be like more gooey. Mm-hmm. I have to agree. That's how I like them is soft and gooey. Like not really sure if it's cooked enough. It might give you a stomach ache from the eggs, but it's okay. Right. <laughs> Worth the risk. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Hannah. Um, okay. I'm not letting you go last this time. I know. I always try to get out of it and go last. So I can see what everyone else says. And make my own <laughs> I'm not informed, you. Empowered decision. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I get curious about your guys' ideas. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to go with like, this is not a typical cookie, but like an oatmeal chocolate chip, not oatmeal mm. raisin. I like raisins are fine, but I'd rather have an oatmeal chocolate chip. I just love the texture of like the oatmeal. It's like, I don't know, it like roughens it up a little bit in a good way. And I like it like, again, like soft and undercooked and things like that, but the chocolate and the oatmeal together, just chef's kiss. So good. Yeah. I feel like it's a, a rare cookie to find. It's normally oatmeal yeah. raisin. You got to make it yourself, yeah. really. Yeah. You can't usually find them yeah. like in a bakery. Yeah. Yeah. More substance with the oatmeal, you know? I think that's why I like it. It's just like, yeah. there's more texture to it. Yeah. Yes. Texture. Yeah. Cool. Hey, Emily, you're up. I actually have the same answer as Katie. What? I did not know that snicker. about you. Yeah. I, I was thinking hard about it and I was like, my go-to answer is going to be like something with like sprinkles on it. Cause that's very... On on brand, brand for yeah. me, <laughs> but I was thinking about it. I'm like, a snickerdoodle cookie is never bad. They're so good. I've I didn't even like never, think of that until Katie said it. Like it's the cinnamon, yes. and it's like still good because it's like oh, it's not too crazy, but it's like I prefer Some... my snickerdoodles softer. But like, it's oh, it's just so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm thinking of the flavors now that you mentioned. I'm like cinnamon. What else? Is, what else? There's got to be something else. <laughs> it can't just be a cinnamon. I mean, cookie. cinnamon can fix the world of hurt. Like cinnamon's that's amazing. true. True. Yeah, it is true. But, yeah. Wow. I, okay. That's why I did not want to go before you, Hannah, because I knew you'd feel a little bit pressured to. That's okay. We all know that. Anyone listening knows that I can't make a decision to save my life. So I'm proud that I had like one firm answer today. Usually I'm like, oh, yeah. I have like eight cookies that I like. <laughs> I don't like saying one answer because then I feel boxed in. Because I would gladly eat a snickerdoodle. And I know you guys would gladly oh, yeah. have a chocolate chip cookie too. Oh, Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Love okay. cookies, all of them. <laughs> I'm surprised this ended in like a, at least like a double agreement because there's so many types that we could have like all chosen. Yeah. That's surprising. Yeah, normally it's a three-way tie of random things but yeah I think I'm also just blanking on different types of cookies like I know my macadamia chocolate chip oatmeal raisin I think like M&M monster monster cookies peanut butter like Katie had said I was thinking I'm now thinking like insomnia like the like dark chocolate mint yes um like fudge ones Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh like Christmas cookies like molasses and like the ice oh I didn't even think about those yeah yeah sugar just basic yeah sugar sugar cookies yeah oh my gosh and then there's like oreos chips ahoy i feel like that's almost like its own thing though that's not like what i was thinking with the question but i think it could be a fine answer if one of you guys would have said that yeah oh yeah yeah sure a cookie shut you down (laughs) (laughs) you're out of here yeah okay cool so katie if the listeners want to hear more from you or work from you or see you wherever it is 
this is kind of your time to promote whatever you want, like social medias, websites, whatever it is. Sure. Where can they find you? <laughs> um, so I'm definitely most active on my Instagram at fueling.former.athletes. It's the same on TikTok, but I haven't, have not really broken into the TikTok game yet. It's been, that's been interesting. Um, but same handle on both Instagram and TikTok. Um, my website was just rebranded and relaunched. So it's Ooh. brand new. Um, spotofstrongnutrition.com. So it's my last name. It's my business name, spotofstrongnutrition.com. All the information on how to work with me is there. Um, right now I'm really, um, enrolling my course, the Fueled Former Athlete Academy. It's a self-paced course that has live coaching calls for former athletes. So you really can transition your nutrition and life after sport and just find that confidence and empowerment with food again. Um, so yeah, I think that is, that's basically where to find me. Come say hi to my little corner of social media. I'd love to chat. Amazing. We will share all those links in the description so you guys can find them. Oh, that's really a wrap. Katie, thank you again so, so much for joining yeah. us today. We always love having a sports RD on, especially one who is in like that anti-diet space, because like I said, oftentimes when you think of like sports, you don't think of food freedom, intuitive eating and all of that. So I think it's a very important niche to have and to put out into the world. So this will be a good episode. So thank you again so, so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation. Amazing. Yeah, of course. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. We hope you go, you better go check out all Katie's stuff. Like we don't hope you better do that. <laughs> we'll find um, out if you don't. Yeah. We will somehow track that information. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have analytics for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we will see you all next week. Otherwise have a wonderful rest of your day. And thanks for listening. Thanks guys. Have a good one. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your host, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at the Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.